Welcome to Just the Right Book. I'm Roxanne Cody. Just recently, R.J. Julia hosted Luann Rice for her second young adult book called The Beautiful Lost. Luann has been a decades-long friend of R.J. Julia's, and we are her devoted fans. She also must have a lot of other devoted fans because she's been a New York Times bestselling author of 32 novels. She's been translated into 24 languages, and her newest YA novel, The Beautiful Lost, uh, just came out this year. Luann's books often center on love, family, nature, and the sea. In addition, several of Luann's novels have been adopted for television, including Crazy in Love for TNT, Blue Moon for CBS, Follow the Stars Home and Silver Bells for Hallmark Hall of Fame, and Beach Girls for a miniseries on Lifetime. Rice is an avid environmentalist and advocate for families affected by domestic violence, and she divides her time between New York City and Old Lyme, Connecticut. And stay tuned after a live event with Luann to hear some science and sci-fi recommendations, perfect for celebrating the eclipse and getting you excited about other parts of our galaxy. But first, let's hear from Luann Rice. Thank you so much, all of you, for coming. And thank you so much to RJ Julia. I, you know, I do have 32 books out, and I bet I've been here for 30 of them at least. They've been maybe 32. Um, Roxanne has been so supportive, and the store has been so supportive, and my readers always show up here. And I know you would anyway, just because a night out at RJ Julia is such an special event. But um, thank you very much. And I'm really touched that, you know, my adult readers have come for to hear me talk about my second YA novel. It's kind of funny because I don't think there's that big a difference. <laughs> um, I think it's because in all my adult novels, I have a lot of kids, you know, and, and um, I've always written about families. And so that inspiration doesn't really, I don't think of it as being age-related particularly. One interesting thing about writing a young adult novel is that it's from the perspective of the teen, of the kid. And, and that's it. You know, it's from her, her perspective. So I have to, when I, write, when I wrote The Beautiful Lost, I had to go back in time, you know, and be 16 again. And uh, that was surprisingly easy. <laughs> I don't really know what that means. But it was, um, it was very, very fun and easy to do. I just got thrown off for a minute because I'm looking around and I keep seeing like familiar faces that I wasn't expecting and it's just a joy. And some of you are from really far away too, so that's, that's kind of amazing. So the beautiful loss, you know, a lot of my work takes place on the Connecticut shoreline. It's my favorite place to write about, my favorite place to live. And I set my novels in a fictional beach called Hubbard's Point that's based on a real place that my grandparents built. But parent, grandparents on both sides built cottages. And uh, my parents met there, you know, in the 40s after the war. And I've spent every summer of my life there. And so it's sort of in my blood. And so in, when I was writing The Beautiful Lost, I wanted to set it in Connecticut. But there were two kids from sort of different walks of life that I wanted to bring together. And the girl comes from an inland town that's based on New Britain, which is where I'm, also, where I'm from in the winter. 
or was when I was a kid. <laughs> it's been a long time since I lived there. And uh, the boy lived in, in Hubbard's Point. And she, at the opening of the book, Maya, who is named for one of the stars in the Pleiades constellation, is in a crisis. And she knows it, which I think sometimes we don't know when we're in a crisis. I think that sometimes it sneaks up on us. But Maya's sort of had a situation, which is that her mother um, left three years earlier to follow her dream, which is to be a whale researcher and to go study whales um, in Canada. And Maya has been left with her dad and her stepmother and to kind of fend for herself. And the way she... What happened to her was that she had clinical depression, like really severe, needing hospitalization, suicidal clinical depression. So she, she's past that. She's mostly past that, she thinks. But all of a sudden, it's like missing her mother is so acute that she feels it coming back, and she can actually taste it. She can taste the depression coming on. And so she realizes that to get better, to make herself be able to live, she has to go find her mother. Um, meanwhile, she has a huge crush on a boy, uh, which, again, knows no age, right? <laughs> it doesn't... <laughs> any, any, all of my books seem to have a lot of love in them. Um, and I'm telling you this like it's just a novel, but as I'm telling you, each of these characters comes from really deep inside me. So Maya, for example, when I was a teen, I had really severe depression. And I, you know, I kept it inside, wasn't talked about. I was really lucky that a teacher noticed that something was wrong, a high school teacher. And uh, she told the head nun at my school. And the nuns talked to my parents and said, Luann should see a counselor. And my parents said, well, that's fine as long as she doesn't talk about the family. <laughs> <laughs> And so this gifted therapist was able to actually help me by, she never asked me to talk about anything. She, we drew pictures. Um, you know, it was just very, she was very gifted. And so I was able to weave that into Maya's story, into the, the novel. Billy, who is the, the boy, lives in an, at what's called the children's home. And is anybody from New Britain or from central Connecticut? Okay. So do you know, you know the children's home, right? The Klingberg home. Yeah. Yep. So I went to Vance School as in elementary school, and it was we went to school with kids who lived in the children's home, and it was a you know I, we thought of it as, as back then I thought it was an orphanage because I thought the kids didn't have parents and didn't have families, but it was really a group home you know, and some of the kids did have families and they just couldn't take care of them for whatever reason, and my house was on Lincoln Street, and. From my house, in my bedroom, I always get teary when I think about this, but I could look out my bedroom window, <laughs> I'm going to get teary, and see the children's home. And like all the kids I went to school with were up there, and there was a boy named Billy. And he uh, was in my class, and I begged my parents to adopt him. And they couldn't, you know, for many reasons, but we weren't, we weren't able to do that. But I never forgot him. And he, in first grade, I remember he had a hole in his sweater. Like I was just, I would stare at that hole in his sweater. It would sort of symbolize a whole lot that I even, I couldn't put it into words then. And it's even now a little hard to put that into words. But, um, and so my imagination was always very activated by the children's home. And um, 
So when I wrote this novel, I had Billy as a character, you know, and, and uh, Maya could see his, his window just as I could see the other Billy's window. And she has a huge crush on him. And so as she's um, getting ready to run away from home in the family Volvo, um, she has to, like, take one swing by the children's home just for a last look at Billy and to say, kind of wave goodbye. She's too shy to actually say goodbye. So she drives up there, and he's sitting outside under a tree, and she can't avoid saying something to him. So she gets out of the car, and she says, you know, I'm going away for a while. I'll see you sometime. And he said, I'm going with you. And so he jumps into the car. He doesn't even know what she, and she said, won't they miss you? And he said, I live in a group home. They won't miss me for long. Now, I don't know that that's really true. I'm sure the care was actually really good there, but that was how he felt. Um, and so that's how the book starts. And it, it, you know, it's, it, that's really just the first few pages. And then the kids take off on a road trip to find her mother. And it's the kinds of things that happen on a road trip. You know, there's, it involves lots of snacks. Lots of <laughs> it's a New England road trip, so there's lots of lobster rolls. <laughs> um, there's you know car radio and uh, and you know and it's also what the kids are going through. You know what Maya and Billy are, what their journeys are internally and also on this road. It, and I kind of wove in a lot of realism. You know a lot of reality about depression. I mean it's not romanticized, but at the same time I was really careful and sensitive to how far I took it, you know, because I didn't want to trigger young readers. But at the same time, I wanted to be real. And not just young readers, but all, all readers. Um, so I wanted to be real about that. Um, now, Billy, I won't say too much about his story, but again, if you're local, some of this might ring true, might ring a bell. But he is, the reason his family fell apart is that his father is in jail for having killed his mother. And I don't know if any of you ever remember a case that was in the East Lyme quite a few years ago, but it was um, the Ed and Ellen Sherman case. And uh, there was a child. There was a 14-year-old girl. So here a guy was accused and convicted of killing his wife, and their child was only 14 at the time. And that just really has stuck with me, what it must have been like for her. How, you know, you love both your parents, and how do you go on loving your father if you think he did that or you tell yourself he couldn't have done it. You know, so it's just, um, it, it was an, an, another real-life thing that I wove into this novel because that's what I do. <laughs> I, I have no shortage of material. <laughs> One thing I just wanted to say about giving back and about using some pain in your life to help others um, I've had this really great experience this year that I'd just like to share with you. Uh, the hospital that I went to when I was young was called McLean Hospital, and it's um, really known for helping literary people, but helping everybody. But the thing that, you know, kind of attracted me was, it, you know, Sylvia Plath went there. The Taylor family called it their Harvard. James Taylor and um, his siblings went. And... So this year they started a program called Deconstructing Stigma, which is just wonderful to, to help to dispel the stigma around all mental illness and to make it easier to talk about and not such a, you know, shameful thing. Because, you, know, really like, you know, it's really like an illness. You know, it's, it's, depression is like diabetes. You know, it, there are ways to help and to control it. So I was part of this project where um, I think, I don't know how many of us took, took part, but 
they came to my house last summer. They took photos of me, including the one that uh, is the book photo for the, for the Beautiful Lost. And they, with all these other people from all walks of life, you know, from many, everything from really famous musicians and actors to everyday people, they blew up the photos so big. They're like bigger than the wall behind me. <laughs> Honestly, they really are gigantic. And um, they put them in concourses and airports. And with our stories, so our photos and then our stories, little snippets of the story. And it's, you know, so that people who are walking to the plains will be going down this concourse and see, you know, friendly faces and then read a little bit about what we've gone through so that they won't, maybe it will help them feel not so alone or to maybe feel like, well, if Howie Mandel reached out for help, I can too. Or, um, you know, and so anyway, that... I'm not saying that what I did was so, as great as Ray Hill, but it just was a feeling of wanting to use something I went through to help others. After her speech, Luann opened up the floor to some questions. Let's start with the first one. A fan commented that she'd been reading a lot about Mark Twain and how he suffered from depression. And she understands that it's cathartic to write about the depression but can't writing also be so isolating? It's such an interesting thing. You know, I, I feel like I only suited for writing. I don't, can't think of anything else that I, you know, I'm really lucky, you know, because I knew what I was and what I wanted to be, and I've done it my whole life. But it is true that it is isolating. I'm tr- I try to stay, you know, in touch, like make sure that I see somebody during the day or, or talk to somebody. But that's not always the case, you know. You know, I, I, I know John Green, the wonderful writer uh, who wrote Fault in Our Stars and many other books, he um, believes in not romanticizing mental illness as a, an artistic thing, you know, because I think he doesn't want people to think that it's in any way romantic or that, you know, only creative people have it because it really is like everybody. But I think maybe the thing about being a, an artist is that you're, you're, more, it's, you're more permeable, because, you know, at least, I don't know, I feel everyone else's feelings. And so another fan asked, how did she decide to jump into the young adult arena, and will she be writing more? My niece, Amelia, whose nickname is Mia, and she is now um, 30. She just had her 30th birthday, and she... Uh, is a graphic novelist and wonderful comic artist and graphic novelist. But from when she was a little tiny girl, she would always say, she called me Uwan. She couldn't say Luann. Uwan, will you write a children's book? And I'd say, yes, me, I will. And then I'd write another adult book. And next year, when she could say Luann, Luann, will you write a children's book? And instead of writing a children's book, every single novel of mine, and this was unconscious, I didn't do this on purpose, had a kid who was Mia's age who had brown hair and green eyes. And that, it's kind of like if I read my, if I go back and look at my, my work, they follow Mia from you know, when she was born till, you know, till she was older. But I, you know, when she was especially wanted to write a, a young adult novel for her or, in, you know, inspired by her request. But I was really lucky and I was very in flowing with inspiration and so one novel I would I would finish one adult novel and literally not even take a breath and start the next one because as I would be writing one my mind would be thinking of you know something would happen that would spark a character and I'd be afraid if I waited the character would leave me (laughs) 
So I'd start the next one. And so it just went years and years. And then all of a sudden, you know, Mia was, she was not a young adult anymore. But I decided, okay, now's the time. And so I wrote it. And it was really because of her. A little too late, but <laughs> because of her. And that was Secret Language of Sisters. That was my last book. I've written another adult novel, but um, I do have a, a young adult in mind. that I've actually finished the manuscript, so yeah. One of her fans asked about her character development process. Let's see what Luann has to say about that. That is also the mystery of writing to me, is that I don't, I don't plot and I don't outline. So the character, com- a main character comes to me, in this case it was Maya, and I set them in motion. You know, she, she really came to me in a dream, actually. And uh, she set the story in motion. Billy got into the car. They had to ditch the, the Volvo because her dad was looking for them, and they had to, like, hotwire a truck. And they're, like, I had no idea this was happening. I had to, like, write really fast to keep up. <laughs> I am always fascinated by the different ways that writers write. You, you hear some of them where they, you know, lay out the plot, or in, like, Luann's case, where the main character comes— And I wonder if we as a reader can tell a difference about which process the author takes. I'd be curious to hear if you think you can tell a difference. The other part of the process that you often hear writers talk about is that they don't know how it's going to end, that the writing sort of leads them to the end, which, which is what I guess this fan was asking about. And that is, you, if you don't know the ending, does it just a, Evolve? Does it just like pop into your head that you know where it's going? How does that work? Even like within the day of writing, you know, I don't know how that day is going to go. And, uh, you know, and by the end, I, I'm always surprised and I'm usually like blubbering because it's often emotional. <laughs> I do have an editor. <laughs> so sometimes I will hand in a manuscript and then that's what editors do. Is it working or is it not working as a book, as a story? Um, but we work really well in sync. And I think I'm, I'm, I feel like because it's so character-driven that it's not a plot thing. So it's like yeah. things can't go wrong in the plot. Right. But it's, it is the motivation, really, what that character would, you know, is it consistency of motivation, yeah. So, and I feel like, you know, of all the arts, I, you know, I have a lot of friends who are musicians and actors. And I've always felt really lucky to be a writer because it's one of the arts where you get older and... They're not going to kick you out because <laughs> hopefully you get wiser, you know. Somehow you've accumulated some experience that leads to maybe a better book and to better characters. One of the readers that were at the event was wondering, since so many of Luann's stories have been turned into TV or movies, how do you feel about seeing your stories on the silver screen? You know, I, I, I'm... I know some writers are not happy with the results of the movies that are made from their books, but I've been really happy and felt so lucky. I think that part of the the trick of that is to let go and know that it's going to become something else. It's based on your book, but it will be something else that's, um, you know, but it's fun. I've gotten to go on the sets and, you know, stayed really close friends with some of the, the actors and producers and directors. So it's been really nice. And then we support each other. I mean, Beautiful Lost has somebody who's, you know, optioned it. So we'll see what will happen. But, you know, who knows? 
Um, and before we close, I just would like to say, if you're looking for a great adult novel to read this summer, The Map That Leads to You. Some of you already have it. You're nodding about it. Um, it's by J.P. Moninger, who is a.k.a. Joe Moninger. And so um, Joe Moninger, if any of you read my book, The Letters, I wrote, I co- I wrote it with Joe. We're really old friends. We go back forever. And uh, we pretended to be a married couple that was breaking up. And we, ha- we had a son, Paul, who had died in a plane crash in Alaska. And we were breaking up because our grief was so, tr- so great. And so we wrote each other letters. And we actually felt like we were that couple getting divorced. <laughs> but um, anyway, so that's our, that's our book together. But this is a really, really, this is his book this summer. And I, the, map, the Map That Leads to You. Moninger, J.P. Moninger. Thank you all. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Luann Rice and to all of the patrons of R.J. Julia. I will leave you with some sci-fi and science book recommendations. As probably many of you know, on August 21st, the moon will pass in front of the sun for North Americans. It has been 99 years since a full solar eclipse has occurred in the United States, and tons of people are incredibly excited. Whatever you do this summer, spend a little more time looking up. You might see something unexpected and beautiful. And if your head's down, we've got some things for you to read. So one book is called Totality, The Great American Eclipses of 2017 and 2024. This book is full of like fun factoids, pictures, graphs, and science between solar eclipses throughout history and into the future, like how do animals respond, what's the mythology, how do solar eclipses help scientists understand the sun. Read this book and you can find answers to all these questions. It's called Totality, the Great American Eclipses of 2017 and 2024. The mission that still captures the imagination of many of us of a certain age was Apollo 8. And a book called Apollo 8, The Thrilling Story of the First Mission to the Moon by Jeffrey Kluger. It's the full story from mission control to launch pad. A great way to acclimate ourselves to the eclipse coming up. One of the things that I always find really fascinating is seeing some of the extraordinary space photography. And a book that just came out called Hello, Is This the Planet Earth?, has some extraordinary, breathtaking photography of our own planet. If you are as fascinated by this as I am, check out this book by Tim Peake. Or if instead of looking at the Earth, you want to look at the solar system, there's a book called Other Worlds, Visions of Our Solar System by Michael Benson. And this book has groundbreaking new photographic techniques that provide images unlike anything we've seen before. So hopefully these are a couple of books that either will get you to enjoy the eclipse more or just have fun reading science fiction or science. For a complete list of all the books we've talked about today, including Luann Rice's The Beautiful Lost and our science and sci-fi books, just go to bookpodcast.com and please email us at info at justtherightbookpodcast.com. 
Just the Right Book podcast is produced by Collisions, the podcast division of CRN International. Many thanks to our producer, Christina Torres, and our sound engineer, Pat Keogh. Our original music was created by Mark Berman. Thank you all for listening.